Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science... He seems to keep changing his mind. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, New England's own Van Helsink. And with me, of course, is my co-host, the bright and outstanding Steve Parsons. It won't work, you know. Oh, Callie's online, um, so somebody give him a call. Whatever. <laughs> Hey, good evening. Yeah, sorry, we were we were struggling to get our guest um, ready for tonight. I never struggle. You... No, no, because you keep cancelling stuff, don't you? Go on, you apologise to all the people that have tuned in tonight for Teller of Curious Tales. I beg your pardon? Go on, say sorry. Uh, let me see if we have him or not. He's still offline. Okay, so there you go. Huh? Well, maybe we will have the Teller of Curious Tales after all. Oh, well. So anyways, uh, you'll be here in a short few months, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, that should be exciting. Yeah. Uh, If anybody's listening to this, I'm trying to get him on as well, but it just keeps saying that he's got an unsupported device. Yeah, life is hard, you know what I mean? Well, he's messaging me on Skype, so I don't know how it happened. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, sorry, let's let's ignore him for the time being and concentrate on the radio show. Good evening, Ron, how are you? Fine, 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 fine. Red light sounds tonight, huh? Yes, yes, that's, uh, and, and uh, we're going to start broadcasting those, believe it or not, so that'd be kind of cool. So that people will be able to witness it for themselves and uh, go back and see exactly what was said and so forth. I mean, because we record them anyways, and... Uh, uh, this way, people can say, "Oh, did I say that? Was that said? What well, was not said?" So, anyway, I think all good mediums should tape their uh, readings. Anyways, I think it's a, a valid point. I think there are huge legal ramifications of that. <laughs> no, not at all. Not as long as you have permission. So you have permission, you can do anything in no, the world. No, 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 no. I mean, um, I'm, I'm sure the mediums, uh, unless they were being uh, paid uh, handsomely for appearing on television, would have some difficulties about having their um, readings broadcast. No, no, because no. That, that, What's some that? Of the, you know, some, well, some of these, some of the say, um, could be utterances could be stored and played back in future years and come back to haunt them, in a more literal sense of the word. Right. I mean, I, I, well, I mean, I recall I recall doing a radio show some years ago from uh, from the UK in which we were interviewing a um, a North American uh, Canadian North American medium who claimed to be the only medium in the world to have foretold nine eleven. And he had made his predictions public in the Chicago Herald Tribune on December 31st of the year 2000. Fascinating. Uh, yeah, the thing is, so that, that edition of the paper was available online. And we spent quite some considerable time going through the, through the article with him, trying to get him to 
demonstrating showers were, in fact, he had made this claim about the World Trade Center um, disaster, mm-hmm. terrorist attack, um, you know, relating to uh, the towers in the sky, flames falling from the heavens, big cities in turmoil. It, it wasn't specific enough, and he, he had a hard time. And so, well, you, you know, it's difficult, Steve. It's difficult, Steve, is, and you know this, is that when you get farther away from an event, your mind uh, plays tricks on you. Your, you know, your memory plays tricks on you. Things that you thought were a particular way and not are often uh, not that way. I mean, I know that when I was writing the book, Ghost Chronicles, with Maureen, we actually went through the video and everything to make sure it was as accurate as possible. And and we were really surprised at times. We thought things happened a certain way, and, and they, they didn't. So, I mean, that's it's fairly common. Um. Well, it's incredibly common. You know, human memory is a frail thing. But the, unfortunately for the medium in the Chicago, with the interview the Chicago Herald Tribune, mm-hmm. it was a it was an interview done to a reporter who was, you know, it was it was in the it was done on the thir- on the twenty on the thirtieth of December and appeared on the thirty first of December. It's not really sufficient time to forget what you said. And then he spent the last eight or nine years subsequently writing a book and trumpeting around the world and anybody that would listen to proclaiming he was uh, the only medium that had foretold this terrorist attack. No, I believe Notre Dame did too. I believe Notre Dame did too. He's never gone into. He's never gone public. He's never wrong, you know. He's, well, he's, he's never gone public with that claim. Oh, yes, he has. It's all not in personally. The, all, all in his book, you know. That's not it. him personally. So, uh, Steve. Anyways, anyway, can you yeah. can you add Cal to the call? I, um, I, sh- I I keep trying to. I keep clicking the button that says "Add to Call." Mm-hmm. And it keeps coming up with a little yellow triangle that says, um, I can't. "You're full of crap." <laughs> uh, I, yeah, um, I don't know why. Maybe we've got this. This wasn't. We had a, a similar problem with um, Andrew Taylor recently with an uh, seemingly an unsupported device. I'm wondering whether there's been some sort of weird updates. Well, on you Skype. have to update on Skype. You have to definitely update. So that's yeah. uh, that's a, a problem, anyways. I mean, right. that's what, yeah, no, but I'm, I'm sure people are working on it as we speak. Mm, great people, I'm sure. Yeah. So anyways, uh, it, it, we were talking a little bit about mediums and, and recordings and, and going away from time. It, it's, you know, the mind is such a, a frail thing. And even and you've discussed this in, in your course and I discuss it in mine as well, is, is the the eyes don't really see images. I mean, we think we see images, but we really don't. And that's uh, a huge uh, handicap for us in reality. Well, actually, the first half of your sentence was 100% correct. We think we see images. Um, we, we, you know, our brain sees images. Our eyes merely transmit um, Motion and lines. Oh, and... They, impu- they, they, they transmit impulses. Um, Right, the, but uh, in the uh, form of motion, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. no, in the form of electrical signals to the brain. Right, uh, but the, the, those impulses have embedded uh, motion and lines, which feeds the bread, brain. And the only way the brain sees it is that they've had some experience in the past, and they uh, draw in their own memory and recreate this, what they think they're seeing. Well, that's only partially true because babies that don't have any formed memories, uh, they they also are able to see. 
They're uh, absolutely not able to see. So we, well, we they are that. able to see. They're able to see uh, quite a lot of things at quite an early age. They, they, what they what they lack is the ability to make any sense of what they see. That exactly. Comes from, there you go. Exactly. So, so in terms of what you're saying is that we, we don't relate. I mean, if you cut. Ah, here we go. Uh, can, can I add it? Because I'm getting an incoming call from Cal. Well, just add on. Uh, well, I can't just add him because it's on it's on the other Skype line. <laughs> Hang on a second. Let's have a bit of fun. Let's see what happens if I do this. Right. Don't don't Let's answer. See. You'll hang up when you're according to them. Hello, Cal. Uh, nobody can hear you on Skype because, well, I don't know. Can can people hear me on Skype? No, no, Billy. Say hello, Cal. Hello, Cal. There, now go and hang up so that Toggy and I can try and call you. Okay. <laughs> Bye. There we go. See, he's alive. I don't know if that was Isn't a pre-recorded message or... Uh, no, 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 no. He's, no, he's, I, it could have been done on the ghost box. He's fully updated or, and fully connected. And, I, I, I'm, so not sure. might, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah no, not until I see it for myself, then uh, I really can't accept it as evidence that he's there. Well, he is. Hmm. Anyways, yeah, I did the uh, whole morning show. Uh, we did the whole morning show on uh, how babies, what what percentages intelligence and what percentages survival and uh, what percentages something beyond uh, the physical sciences that babies are are able to recognize uh, uh, their mothers and so forth. Um. Well, in in terms of what we what we how we interpret the world around us through the through the vision sense, mm-hmm. and um, how we then explain that, that comes as part of our of our development. We we learn colours and we learn numbers mm-hmm. through repetition. We only know, for example, that red is red because we are told it's red. If we are, you know, you go through life um, having a you know red being. Right. explain to you that it's blue and that the sky is red, you will always think that the sky is red because that that colour is what you associate with that word and etc. Cetera, et cetera. People are colourblind. Colourblind is not necessarily... There is... No, they, be... I mean, they say... They say the word. I keep getting distracted by Cal. I'm very, very sorry to people. Um, I, because, I don't understand this status system. Because the uh, dog, up. you know, dogs... In reality, only see yellow and blue and shades of gray. They don't see the full spectrum of colors as we know it, which is, you know, yes. Well, no, I mean that's absolutely correct. Animals see see things differently. We have no we have no idea of how they perceive things. We know from from scientists. Uh, studying the optical pathways, the the, the eyes, um, that they are seeing in a different range of the visible light spectrum, and indeed beyond the visible light spectrum for some animals. Mm -hmm. Um, And indeed for some humans, there are recognized medical conditions where they can see quite well into the ultraviolet, for example, uh, because the ultraviolet uh, sense... uh, Processing in the in the eye itself is defective. One of the most famous artists of all time, uh, Turner, um, who's famous for his oddly, uh, luridly uh, coloured sunsets, is now believed to have suffered from this condition 
where he was much more um, susceptible to uh, seeing ultraviolet uh, light and seeing, therefore, misperceiving colours. And what he's painting on his canvases is the sunset as he saw them. What we don't know and what we can never know um, is what the animal then makes of, you know, what does it think that a tree is? What does it think that a human being is? Um, this is information that we we don't have because we can't communicate um, with the creature. Right. And, you know, we got a, a very heavy discussion about, uh, you know, basically why we have morality and uh, the strongest, uh, I guess, the strongest, um, I'm, I'm not sure what how to describe it, but survival is for the humans was, you know, in most creatures is, is priority number one, survival, breeding, blah, blah, blah. But um, when did man become into this, Morality. How did they end up with morality, which was one of the questions we were trying to figure out. Was it something beyond our instincts? That's what I was looking for, the word instincts. Survival instincts, it's, it's beyond that. So it, it's something else. And uh, that was what part of our essence is, our spirit, that our psyche or whatever it is, is that we feel morality comes from. Well, morality... I, it could be part of group identity um all species tend to work work together to, uh for the enrichment and the the um continuation of, of the particular spirit species now they do it in different ways um and the human race you know has requirements to ensure that it is uh, you know that each generation is is cared for and nurtured. I mean, we, we can't get up and run away after you know. After but think about the born. first men, men, whatever, how it ever happened. The men were on the thing, and all of a sudden you have these women. All right, so women are good because you can have sex with them. But after that, they're kind of useless, right? Because the men were out hunting, gathering, and and these women would hold them down with babies and things. What was what was that instinct that that made them? I'm just talking above survival. What was the, above that that made them take care of these uh, women and children that were absolutely not vital to their survival? Because in, in some cases, it actually hurts if they have to take care of a child and a, and a wife at that time. You know, we're talking caveman here. So th there's apart, something apart more. from triggering every lib liberal feminist. In, in both sides of the Atlantic, with what you just said. Well, we're talking about cavemen here, and, and no, that's, <laughs> that's the way it is, you know. I mean, oh, okay, but nonetheless, it, the, what I said stands. Uh, of course, you look after your fellow. Uh, the, the Neanderthals uh, buried their dead in grief for their dead. Of course, it beholds you to look after the females because they are the uh, the ones who are necessary for. The survival of the species. Along where, where, did the, along with the where did we get that from? Where did we get that from? Biologically speaking, um, that affects almost every animal. There are very few animals that are capable of self-breathing. I mean, you, you take, for instance, you take lions, for instance, and, and their instinct is is to kill and to feed themselves. And and you know, if you're an elk and and you walk into range, you're going to get killed. But yet we have. You know, many instances uh, where lions will take care of uh, 
young elk or young uh, other food sources for them, but they won't kill them. They'll, they'll take care of them and protect them at times. So where is that instinct? It's beyond instinct, I think. I mean, you're, you're, the greatest instinct is survival, right? So well, it's something the greatest greater instinct than is, the survival instinct. So, Well, no, the greatest instinct is survival of the species, isn't it? Um, you know, well, not the, necessarily. The, the collective beyond the individual. There are many, many times where, you know, within society where, you know, people are faced with a choice of do you, you know, do you sacrifice one or do you sacrifice many? The, 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 the whole essence of surviving and going forward to the next generation um, is, is a survival aspect. And you need certain things. You need to have a, a spiritual um, well-being. Now, spiritual well-being, I don't mean here to be in touch with the spirit realm. I mean that you have to be spiritually uh, well in, in terms of psychologically well, that you have to feel safe and comfortable and secure uh, and safe where you are um, with your fellows. Depriving somebody of uh, human contact and isolate him in solitary confinement um, it, it almost invariably leads to mental illness and um, and psychiatric conditions developing because man cannot live on his own uh, we're, we're rubbish at it basically we need to have others um, around us for to satisfy that, that spiritual need in addition to the obvious ones we need food we need water mm-hmm. um, you know these were all covered by Maslow in his hierarchy of needs yeah um, but I mean you you have a point there's something greater than that survival instinct where you you know the soldier who jumps on a grenade in, in, during the war or, or a uh, somebody who takes a, a bullet for their wife or or whatever i mean that there's something that's greater that you're willing to give up your supreme survival your your, your own personal life for someone else it, it's a it's it's something greater than just instinct i believe well if I... <laughs> It may just be instinct, the instinct to survive as a species, because the same behaviour is demonstrated in insect colonies such as ants and bees and wasps, who will, you know, the workers will sacrifice themselves uh, to protect the hive, to protect the nest um, from invasion. Now, I don't know if they have uh, or what degree of intelligence that they have. Um, See, that's the thing is we don't know. But, but it's, it's always um, reckoned that they are acting purely in an instinctive way driven by hormones rather than uh, by an intelligent thought process, although they are demonstrating a degree of intelligence. That can't be argued either. Um, so perhaps it is simply an instinct for, to uh, ensure the survival of the species. And man is, is a great survivor. Uh, in in some ways, and we're also you know a great destroyer in others, and we've you know. Um, but well, that, nonetheless, that's you know, we, what, that's what the other, other thing. Man man is a conqueror because it increases his own uh, survival, his own survival of us, his clan, his family, whatever. It's it, so we've always conquered. We you know we wiped out the was which one I always get these mixed up. The Crow Magnus wiped out the Neanderthals, or vice versa. I forget that. Uh, well, we may never have wiped them out because geneticists have realised that, in actual fact, we just bred with them. And uh, yeah, there was crossbreed. Yeah, right. We we've just absorbed their DNA, and that many living humans today um, are both Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon. Have have Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon um, genes within them. In fact, blonde, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, blue-eyed people 
um, will have a Cro-Magnon gene in them because that's where the blonde blue-eyedness comes from. Hmm. Interesting. I thought it came from Atlantis. At least that's what Hitler said. Well, somebody better tell the geneticists. So. <laughs> well, if you know. We're still working on getting Cal, whose status is showing as offline with voice messaging, although at his end it doesn't, so maybe he needs to fix that. I have no clue what that is. So We're getting it. We'll get him. We'll get him. We're not giving up. Uh, I don't know. So anyways, I mean, that's it's a deep conversation, and, and, it, and it brings up so many different initials, and so it's really intriguing because it deals with what we deal, too, in the spiritual realm. What is the spiritual realm? What is a, our spirit? What is our essence? You know, what, what is what is a, a ghost? What is our soul? And are they the same? And, you know, it's it's that's why it you know, we, we brought that up originally in, in our conversation on the morning show is because we're trying to figure out what we are, basically. Uh, you know, we have bodies, but that's that's nothing, really. It's beyond that. Or are, are we just a plain chemical reaction? Um, well, the, the question about consciousness and um, that other part of our humanity that exists as part of us, um, the spiritual side of us, the side that seeks the answers to the paranormal, the side that that uh, talks to the dead, the side that um, believes in God um, and mourns, you know, mourns for the dead. Um, that is the side that parapsychologists and psychologists have been studying for well since before Freud. Um, and they, they, they have no answers. They simply have no answers. There are lots of speculations. Um, you know, some, some suggest that we may survive uh, bodily death in, a, in some form as um, an idea, as, an, as a memory, as an echo in a universal consciousness, that, we, um, that our memories or some, some semblance of our memories or the ancestors' memories is passed down in our DNA and is encoded hardwired into us and that we can recall those memories. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might say that's reincarnation. Some people believe in reincarnation, and some people, you know, I mean, Don't. unfortunately, our guest Don't. is... is <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, our guest is the parapsychologist who can... Help us! Help us! But we don't have him. Well, he's still on Skype. Um, so what, so it's so sad. Him. We've deduced that the problem is, if anybody can help us, his Skype status is showing as offline with voice messaging. He can successfully call me, yet neither I nor the station can add Cal. According so to, why, according why, to Cal, why doesn't he just call, call the station? Yeah, that's a point. Just saying. Anyway, uh, so... That's that's how this all conversation came about on the morning show was trying to determine what we were as a as a person, a spirit, a ghost, whatever. And, and why are only you know of all the billions and billions of people that have died through time, why are there so few ghosts in 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 relationship to the, the sheer number of people? Well, Cal has called Toginet, so. Um... <clears throat> Apparently, it works fine to Togginet. So, Togginet, if he calls you again, can you add him? Because this is... this is any, oh, Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> Thank you for your help. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm trying to get a guest on so we can answer That's the producer's job, not ours. I know, but I have to, I've got communication with Cal, so I'm saying try to... And he's telling uh, me. Ah, yeah, fine, yeah, so. yeah. Hmm. 
Now I've lost my train of thought, but that's fine. <laughs> but uh, so anyways, uh, the news, new newsletter has come out. So if and you don't have a copy and, and you'd like to get the newsletter, uh, you can go onto any Ghost Project website. And there's a lot of information in the newsletter, and of course it's free. Uh, so N-E, the letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com, and sign up for the newsletter. You, you get uh, a lot of information. There's an article by Steve Parsons in it. There's uh, Cemetery Trippin' by... Uh, uh, Ann Carrigan, there's uh, Beyond Bizarre from Vala Ventura, there's Book of the Month, Photo of the Month, which is always fun, um, as well as Gems of the Month, uh, which is kind of cool, too. And there's stories, jokes, and all kinds of cool things. And it's all free. So go to the website, anyghostproject.com, and there you go. So yeah. I can't answer him or you both go... No, bye it's okay. Bye. What's going to happen is during the ad break, we're all going to get disconnected so that Toggynet can add Skype. Add there you go. Skype. There we go. So we, that's what we've been doing while you've been telling us about the newsletter. No, I've been right on top of this. I've, I've, I'm connected. Yeah, but you're not reading Cal's messages coming in on the other side. No, that's a shame. Whatever. There we are, you see. Transatlantic fun. Mm-hmm. This is the so second it, time we've had this problem with Skype. Yeah, it's, it's a British thing. Anything from from across the aisle is, I mean, across the ocean there is like trash. It just doesn't work. What, you mean like Brexit? Yeah, Brexit, right. You know, I still think you're working on the old telegraph systems, you know. It's done us so far. We've got an empire because of it. Had an empire. (sighs) So anyways. We'll have America back soon. I have. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, uh. I have been told, and I am reminding you now, that my wife wants to know what the difference between Britain and the UK is. So uh, when you come over, you have to explain that to her in detail. She doesn't trust. I will. Ex- I, 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 I would do it. I would do it now, but the show's not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we had a, a nice discussion about it, and I try to explain what I know of it. And of course, that's limited to what you Wrong. tell me. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? You've been lying to me all these years. Now I know. So anyways, when we do come back, uh, hopefully we'll have Cal on the line. If not, then we're going to have a teller of Curious Tales, I guess. So, oh, we still have another minute. Okay, it's very good. So anyways, Stephen. So what uh, do you think that the difference between Great Britain and the United Kingdom is? That's a story for another time. <laughs> Coward. <laughs> <laughs> So, anyways, our uh, friend Dylan, Dylan, your friend Dylan, has uh, done us another teller of curious tales, correct? Which we had in our little hands last week, but didn't uh, well, we were very busy last week, and it was out of schedule because we'd, we'd thrown the um, due to a technical problem, uh, we we uh, we had to miss an episode. So, to get us back onto track, uh, an additional one was recorded, but we're holding that, um, which we'll probably use now next week and get us back onto track. No, we use this one this week, and then that way we'll have one in the debate. Well, that's, that's only if we haven't got a guest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, there's the music. We've got to take a break. You'll listen to the Ghost Chronicles, hopefully, uh, right here on Tojinet, Pararex, and wherever the hell else we are. And we're right back with uh, Steve Parsons, Ron Kolick, and perhaps Dr. Cal Cooper. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. 
feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Welcome back to part two of the disaster that's tonight's Ghost Chronicles International. Uh, but we're joined in part two. No thanks to Ron, but with a huge <laughs> thanks to Karina and to Cal, and also to myself acting as a mediator. We've managed. Don't at me. We've managed to get our guest on the show. I didn't say anything. <laughs> no, but you went. Good evening, Cal. Good evening, Sorry. Stephen. Good evening, Dr. Cal. Dr. Dr. Cal. Dr. Cal. Oh, oh, oh. Please, Dr. No. Dr. Kaloum E. Cooper, PhD. Thank you. No autographs, please. Thank you very much. I wouldn't Cal, want thank you for wasting half already. <laughs> Actually, you still owe me one. You still never signed telephone calls from the dead. But, Cal, I've got a question for you. Have you? How do we know that your PhD is a real one and it isn't? You didn't just buy it from the Institute of Medical Physical Studies. Oh, oh, oh! Why? Because I see a lot of parapsychologists on my Facebook page and at conferences now claiming to be parapsychologists with their PhDs. Now I thought you would bring this up because it is a bee in my bonnet. Um, You were hoping I I would bring it up. Maybe. um, It it is something that is increasingly (laughs) missing me off. Sick him, Cal. Sick him. Yeah, I know. It's it's something that is starting to become what I want to do some sort of conference talk on, but more so where it's a conference of the public, just because it's it's those people um, that are getting damaged by this. It's back when... Um, you, Steve, did that talk in 2008 on have the lunatics taken over the haunted asylum, where you had all this rise, this rise of uh, ghost hunters coming out because of TV programs. This is kind of a sidestep from it, where people have got that interest for ghost hunting and the paranormal, 
but they're going the quick route option. And it's a kind of grey area between the psychical researchers and the parapsychologists because we respect the psychical researchers who did their research, did ghost hunting, read a lot and then published. Or you had the academics who went and sought qualifications, found a position within a university, and that's where they did their research. These people who were doing the internet stuff and then boasting the title of parapsychologist or doctor, they're neither nor. And it's really annoying because the public perceive them as professionals. And for someone now, like you now, who has paid your dues, yeah. it's, it must be entirely infuriating. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Steve appreciates this entirely as well, because when you do public events, it's a constant battle, because you'll either have um, people that might be aware of these other people and then perceive that Steve or I have done the same thing as they did and got the qualifications through the same places, or they'll perceive that these people have been to, you know, the University of Liverpool, the University of Northampton, and, and so forth. When they haven't, they've just found an internet site where, oh, $1,000 for a doctorate, that's quite good, and I can get that's it within six, yeah, six months, I'll go for that. <laughs> and, and they do. But, the, you know, if you get a chance to see the, the quality of what's being produced, it is beyond poor. It's not even the standards of a bachelor's degree and the dissertation, and it's, it's just waffle. I can say I can save you uh, organising a conference. Just be in London on the on the twenty ninth of April. And what's happening there? The SPR study day on ghost hunting and the future of ghost hunting. And I've got that exact subject in the bag. Oh God bless you! God bless you! <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I, thought, I thought I'd save you the trouble. Do <laughs> you tell yeah. us a little bit more then about what you're going to? Can you tease out, uh, give a plug for what you're actually uh, going to be well, talking well, about? Well, essentially, the, the whole study day relates to something I did in September of last year at the conference up in Leeds, the SPR conference up in Leeds. Yeah, uh, in which I. I pointedly said that the SPR needs to engage fully with the ghost hunting community and uh, also and then allow them uh, access to the SPR's experts um, and the archives and the re- huge resources that the SPR has um, because, as I said um, at the conference, the SPR has become the domain of the psychologist and the academic and has largely disassociated itself probably with good reason, from the ghost hunting community. Um, And a a lot of the blame for some of the more bizarre um, experiments that are produced could probably be pointed at or laid at the door of um, the parapsychology community because they are not disseminating or not... uh, There is no means by which the research that is conducted by parapsychologists is properly disseminated down to the ghost hunting community. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the presentation um, up in Leeds also covered the fact that um, there, are, uh, this gray, there is this grey area where because there is a gap, because there is no engagement from the Parapsychological Association or the Society for Psychical Research from the academic communities, um, that it's left the door open for these quasi-academic um, qualifications and the, these in-house ghost hunter courses and ghost hunter parapsychology courses. And even there are even some parapsychologists who trade on the television fame to you know, charge people you know, a lot of money for what is an essential, uh, you know, a simple online course that costs pennies to produce. Sorry, uh, and this is the name. Who? <laughs> <laughs> I'll out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> and 
there is also um, a burden of, of ethics to be to be considered because uh, as a result of taking part um, in these courses, um, you know, be they online parapsychology school courses um, or others, people then start to call themselves and believe that they are parapsychologists. And I've got evidence of that, which I will be presenting at the study day, um, and well, asking you the question, I have where to actually should, stop should there be a burden of, of evidence, of, of I ethics? Say, I have to stop you there, Pastor, because you said right on this show, anybody mm-hmm. can call themselves a parapsychologist. That's they, your exact they, words. They I didn't remember they, they in fact can. It's perfectly true because there is no academic qualification of parapsychologist. At the same time, you could go through Depol and change your name to doctor if you wanted to. Exactly. Um, the term parapsychologist is, is still one of those grey terms in itself that uh, although it is now more commonly recognised as being someone who has a PhD properly gained um, in one of the psychology-related um, specialities that translates to study in areas related to paranormal. Um, it, the, the word itself uh, it goes back to, uh, I mean, it, it's always associated with uh, J.B. Ryan and the Ryan Institute uh, down in uh, North Carolina um, and the creation of the term. But the term predates that and, and has been used for many, many years, particularly in North America, um, by ghost hunters. Um, there were many, many ghost, in, ghost investigators who termed themselves parapsychologists through the 50s, 60s, right up to the present day. Mm-hmm. You, you know um, what would really be nice is that uh, Cal actually gets to talk. You know, that would be really <laughs> nice. Well, you asked me a question. No, no, in all fairness, I did ask him a question. So, no, no, no don't ask me the question. <laughs> but the, the thing is, um, even though they like to call themselves whatever title they've decided to take on, parapsychologist, doctor or whatever, you do find that even though they've convinced themselves to a large extent that that is what they are, they're only preaching or telling a certain group of people because when they meet people who they know are legit by whatever de- definition we use for that, they don't call themselves that because they fear of being... Disappears from there. Oh, absolutely. The doctorate disappears yeah, from their title. They, be- they become <laughs> Mr. or Mrs. again and so Young. forth. And- <laughs> yeah, Carl Young. <laughs> um, no, I was thinking Robert Young. No, I know. I- <laughs> All right, let's name names. <laughs> well, there we wow. go. You know, it, it goes on like that. I mean, I've got... Um, David Saunders, he's going up to the SSPR conference. Um, they're doing two a year now instead of uh, monthly lectures. Haven't they got We're, the very well-known parapsychologist Steve Merrow there as well? That's the what I was getting to. And the interesting <laughs> thing was I, I couldn't make that. They asked me to go, and they asked me to go to the October one, and I, I'm not available for either of them. So I said to Dave, could you go up and give a talk in my stead? And he said, sure. And then he got told the lineup, And he thought, well, what do I do? Because there was Dr. Ian Tyranny. There was Professor Caroline Watt, him, and slapped on the end was Steve Mira. Now, Ron, if you don't know, Caroline Watt heads the parapsychology department at the University of Edinburgh. Ian Tieran is there as well, so two parapsychologists who've been in the field for a very long time. And then David from CSAP at the University of Northampton, who's just finished his PhD. And then we've got Mira in the mix, and that really put him off. He, he nearly cancelled the conference, and he's been in two minds as to what to do. Because publicly, as this will be a public event, he doesn't want to be associated um, with Steve. Um, Steve Mira, not Steve Parsons. Steve Parsons isn't going. And Either or. I, I was never, I was never, never invited. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you were going, Steve. I really wish you were. I get, I get my chance at Bristol in April because I understand that Elvis and um, 
Will, Will Harding, you're both going to be there. Will he not turn it down if he knows you're going? No, but the, the parapsychologist might. Oh, all right, okay. <laughs> He'll just find a leather waistcoat in his stead and just some dust by the door. So, oh, Cal, you, you, you've got your degree now. What was your, your final uh, thesis on? Oh, well, the, the whole thesis um, was entitled um, Spontaneous Post-Death Experiences and the Cognition of Hope. And it was an examination That's of... That's why I'm not a parapsychologist. <laughs> <laughs> it, was an, it was an examination of bereavement and recovery. So um, is bereavement and recovery better for those people who have paranormal experiences during bereavement than those who don't? So oh, that's, wow. essentially, that's essentially what it was all about. Mm-hmm. And I was specifically looking at if emotional responses come out of having them, so if people say, oh, it made me really happy or it made me really sad, we found from loads of the kind of past literature, academic and general, like some popular books, there was um, a very popular book called um, Hello from Heaven, which sold really widely um, throughout the world. And in that, they mentioned as well that these experiences give people hope. And that was the finding of a lot of academic studies as well. But no one bothered to look at, well, what do you actually mean when someone says the experience gave me hope? They never took that forward. And it's since the 1960s that psychology has looked at the emotion of hope. Um, Essentially, to have hope for something is a form of goal attainment. Um, I hope to see you next Friday for a few drinks or I hope to win the lottery. All things that could happen, but there's a different level of probability as to those things coming about. And they can come about so long as you do things along the way to make sure it happens. And does in this hope case... Make you a positive, does, does, does hope increase the positive outcome? Um, it, it does. Or the chance because, of a positive outcome? Well, in this sense, what's happening is... I measured their levels of hope before. So I had two groups, 50 people who didn't have these experiences during bereavement and 50 who did. And in their levels of hope from one particular hope scale that I used, generally those who were going to or did have a paranormal experience were higher in hope and positivity than those that didn't. So you could say that those other group were possibly more pessimists than optimists. And after they had their experiences the level of hope only went down ever so slightly for the group who did have experiences. There was a significant drop in levels of hope for those who didn't because they had no suggestion of an afterlife. They had to find something else to fill this void of grief and find some other way of coping and moving forward. For those that did have the experience, they said that it was an instant coping mechanism because they believed that person was around in some way. didn't matter what their level of belief was, whether a believer or even a cynic. For the cynic, it created a massive transition of trying to reconceptualize life and death and think, oh, shit, you know, I, I've been you know, thinking about this wrong. I can't deny the experience I had. And maybe death isn't the end. And it's a win-win hope situation, because if you hope to be reunited once you die then either two things will happen. You die, and you do get reunited, or you die, and nothing happens, and you won't know about it. So it's a a hope that won't have a negative outcome. Actually, I'm going to contest what you just said there before I ask a question. Do it. Try it. Yeah, go after him, Kel. You just said, and you'll never know because you're dead. But we don't know that, do we? That's why I said... That's why I said there's that other. You die and you get reunited. So that's one possible outcome. And oh, okay. I said the other possible one is you die and you won't know about it. But the, que- the question I was coming to, um, we've recently been, because we've got Spirit Quest coming up and we've been plugging it away because we've been talking about Houdini and Doyle, which is the theme. Now, Lovely. Houdini was a classic case, was he not, of somebody uh, where uh, he hoped that he could get in touch with the uh, spirit of his mother. 
Yeah. And he became embittered. He, he did indeed. He even doubted the medium Arthur Ford um, and called him an absolute... Well, he called Ford a fraud um, and doubted his mediumship out of many of the mediums that he surveyed. And he, um, the, the interesting thing was that after Houdini died, Arthur Ford was the first one to come forward with a direct com communication from Houdini's mother with a specific code or phrase or something that Houdini had requested. So even though he doubted Ford, Ford seemed to be the most likely person to actually get in touch with his mother. There's a bit of irony involved in that. Isn't there some controversy, though, about where that phrase is going from? Like it was published at one time prior to him coming up with it or something? I, I vaguely remember something. I'm not quite sure. Not that I saw from the literature. I reviewed... Okay. Uh, no, okay. Yeah. All right. I reviewed Frank Tribby. Frank Tribby's book on... He compiled um, the biography for Arthur Ford. And then I had to consult Fate Magazine as well with some of the follow-up reviews. Oh, there you and, go. Standard in the press. Uh, yes, the Fate Magazine. <laughs> yeah. But this is going back to the days of when D. Scott Roger was one of the consultant editors. And I was looking at some of the kind of different views on um, Arthur Ford's abilities. And um, I thought they were quite interesting. But certainly when it came to the controversy between him and Houdini, I thought it was interesting that Houdini had got to the point where he just wasn't going to allow any evidence to convince him otherwise. Yeah, people still to this day say that Houdini was basically always a believer, intrinsically a believer, and that he was just fighting against what he thought was um, exploitative mediums who were, who were mere showmanship. And he made you, money from you them too. Remember... And yet you, what you just said is, is, is contrary to that viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Arthur Ellison's um, public demonstration that he did where he, he put something on a table, public audience, and he said... I want this object to levitate, and I want those of you who can see it levitating to raise your hands and let me know. And because he was skilled in electronics, he rigged uh, an electronic magnet underneath the table, so all he had to do was flick a switch, and the object was genuinely levitating. And now most of the audience who were believers said outright, yes, it is levitating. Some of the skeptics said, yeah, I think I saw it levitate. And then there was a section of the skeptics who adamantly said, no, it definitely did not levitate. <laughs> and even though it clearly was, huh. they That's were an interesting experiment. They were yeah. Yeah. I mean, it brought up an interesting debate for the parapsychology students because I said, you know, it's good to have a sceptical mind, but sometimes you also have to doubt the sceptics because they're so, some of them can be so hardened in their beliefs that they will doubt even what they're seeing and just deny it outright because it goes against what they expect. It's, it it's the same passion, the same right, passion in the beliefs, but one's in skepticism and one's in belief that mm -hmm. they believe. So it's just they're, they're really the same but different views. Yeah, you can be complete polar opposites. I think you need to be sat in the middle somewhere. Yeah, was it, was it, was it Richet or Flamery? No, I think it was Richet that once said that um, he, he, he irritates the skeptics just as much as he, as he irritates the believers. Yeah. yeah. I've heard loads of different sayings on... And stuff like that where, yeah, basically down that line, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm notorious for annoying everybody, so I guess that much makes me objective. <laughs> you Keeps you in the middle. Keeps you in the middle. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've been... I, I, I know the, the, uh, the, the uh, Arthur Ellison thing that you, you refer to, um, but, I, I mean, I've sat in uh, seances whereby the medium has said that, uh, you know, has explained to people that the table is levitating and the spirits are moving it and shaking it and tilting it. And I've watched people you know, um, state with a high degree of certainty, uh, surety, that the table was in fact moving when plainly it wasn't. 
Mm. You know, so, it, it, you know, I've seen it from both sides um, when the table actually levitated, as in uh, you just described, and when the table patently hadn't levitated. In fact, in one instance, the poor medium was levitating a table that the restaurant had screwed to the floor. <laughs> oh, but the medium bad. hadn't realised that the table was screwed to the floor, which made for, you know, an interesting sale, nonetheless. But Wait, everybody you're... around that table reported that the table was tipping and levitating. Well, that's the thing, though, is, is you know, your beliefs come into play because, I mean, if you remember the last Spirit Quest where I had the haunted iguana and... Uh... I mean, people stare at it, people that stare at haunted iguanas, right? And there were many reports that this iguana moved, and yet <clears throat> it's <laughs> The lakes you had to go to to get that iguana. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like Lloyd Auerbach's magical gopher. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. Oh, you, you need to see him in person to see his magic gopher. Well, you need to explain <laughs> it. You can't say that with ten minutes to go at the show and then just leave it hanging like that. Oh, it, it literally is just a magical psychic gopher that he has now and then keeps in a box. Oh, I'll have to. Well, probably <laughs> something on YouTube. There's going to be something on YouTube on that. Uh, I'll try and find you a clip somewhere. There's a clip where he, he got me to uh, come on stage and, and meet the gopher. Uh, I'm sure he did some sort of psychic experiment with me and the gopher. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, unlike uh, Gordon. Uh, I have to answer a question. I got to answer a question here. Uh, CC from the uh, Paranormal uh, Pararex chat room asks, a haunted, "What is a haunted iguana?" And I just want to say, uh, it was a uh, wooden statue I got from uh, uh, Sandra and uh, Keith Johnson uh, the, from the Ghost Hunters, and they they took it out of a house that was uh, supposedly possessed by a demon. So uh, they graciously gave it to me. Graciously, great. Can I just look at it right gracious. now? Graciously, after you begged and pleaded and wooed them, you're just and jealous, Parson. You just fucking jealous. 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 You, you heard me. I think jealous. Once, once the show's uh, finished, if people go to the Ghost Chronicles International Facebook page, Ron will put a picture of the iguana up, so you can see why you would be jealous of this thing. You were gracious. It sounds more like an act of pity. It is an act of pity. I think <laughs> I just felt sorry for him. And two <laughs> I mean, at two Cooper. <laughs> Wow. So, Cal, what are you up to now that you're a doctor? I mean, are you, like, uh, operating on people or... Uh... Uh, yeah, I'm... Um, pulling teeth? Get, yeah, pulling teeth. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, that actually goes back with the whole... Th- th- this is why I wanted to write something. I appreciate you... Uh, I really want to hear what you've actually put together, Steve, that's developed since Leeds. But some of the kind of takes that I was looking at was not just these... The psychology and parapsychology qualifications, but I heard accounts... There was a documentary one time... <laughs> Of, of people obtaining these bogus qualifications off the internet. And there was someone who was genuinely practicing as a dentist, mm. pulling teeth, doing other things, and they gained their qualification in dentistry through an online multiple-choice examination. And it was months and down the line until anyone realized that what they got was a fake qualification. Then they've been allowed to practice. And, and it's if crazy. I recall, like, but if I recall like that, because I remember the news reports about that. If it's the British guy I'm thinking of, um, he was actually. I think this is an American one. Oh, there's a British. There was a similar British one about ten years ago, and he had actually had a very high patient satisfaction count, <laughs> far higher than the conventional <laughs> dentists, because because he'd been entirely self-taught and you know he, he sort of found his own way of doing all these things. In fact, only today in the in the uh, newspapers there was a story of uh, one of the. Um, uh, leading uh, chief executives of a uh, national health 
um, trust in the UK has had bogus two PhDs and a master's um, that he invented 35 years ago to give himself a leg up in the job industry, and he <laughs> and he only got found out just as he retired. <laughs> and, and people have said, what, well an exceptional, well what an exceptional job he's been doing all these years. So, I mean, in that instance. It, it does point out that, you know, often in life, um, qualifications gained in academia can, you know, can be... Uh, not quite relate into true life skills. Yeah, this goes back to the original point. If you look at people like um, Harvey J. Irwin, who's one of our kind of main parapsychologists of Australia, it, he's done loads of educational texts on what does and doesn't make someone qualified as a parapsychologist. And this goes back to generally within this SPR parapsychology community, we tend to accept those that read, know the literature and publish and don't have an academic background. My two favourite parapsychologists are still Rogo and Bayliss. Rogo had one degree in music. Bayliss was not. Uh, there's you as well, Steve, but if I've got to put people <laughs> at the top, there's Bayliss there, who is a, a landscape painter. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, Ryan himself was a respect- botanist. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, his background was in botany, and then got his PhD in that as well, but then was asked to focus on parapsychology because they were members of the ASPR, they were interested in the research, they were independently conducting it, and then William McDougall said, you know, you're excellent scholars, why don't you shift your interest towards the university setting for uh, psychical research, and that's where it developed into parapsychology. So, you know, you get people of all kinds of different backgrounds, but it, it's just, you know, not trying to trick yourself or the public which is the way forward, be honest. If, if you just read and publish and you haven't got any academic qualifications and you don't give a shit about getting them, fine. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's one route. And if you do want to go down the route of getting academically trained and maybe even working in a university, that's fine too. Don't be in the middle and kid yourself and kid other people because it's deceptive and can also go down the route of fraud. That's the grey area. I agree dun, dun, dun. wholeheartedly. No, I agree wholeheartedly. And but conversely, you also get this weird situation which does occur, and you know it's my my rant um, that you have parapsychologists who believe that simply because they've fallen out of the end of um, a three-year PhD course in mm-hmm. psychology, you know, uh, with a, that they're they're then fully equipped to ghost hunt and to make measurements of environmental variables which is the role of you know either physicists or environmental scientists and then they screw up the research mm-hmm. and then that that uh is presented for peer review do they really by... screw up the, the oh, research I, or do they I, make I, the I, research no, fit fit there no no i i i actually present um had a paper accepted for the journal of the society for psychical research in which i pointed out one of the uh, most commonly referred to experiments um, relating to environmental infrasound and it's whether it, it had any implication for haunting experiences hmm. was so flawed that an, uh, you know, a high school physics student could have driven a coach and horses through it. But it had been peer-reviewed by psychologists whose training didn't, in, uh, didn't cover uh, physics and the measurements of physical variables, and so it just got passed straight through the through the uh, the journal system. Now, let's be fair; their peer review system does have mainly psychologists, but there are some physicists on the JSPR review board and and other scholars as well, aren't there? I'm sure well, there are. Well, there are. Now, there I mean, are, do you do you know categorically so that your peer reviewers were psychologists? Yes. Even though it was meant to be blind yes. reviewed. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Not my well, not it... my personally. This particular study that I'm referring to. 
Well, in that case, fair play, and that's, that also proves the point that just because a paper is peer-reviewed does not mean to say it's gospel for what it's produced. Right. There's many papers in many, many different journals that have managed to get through a peer-review process. It doesn't mean to say they're good. I've read, as you have, many very bad ones that are flawed. And very, very bad, um, bad journals because that, that think that their peer-review process is, um, you know, makes them credible. <laughs> I know where you're going again. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to completely talk about in-house jokes and leave Ron on the side. Well, you know what? I hate to tell you this, but that was the doorbell, which means pizza from the dead, and that rang about a minute ago, so we get about, uh, I don't know, 30 seconds left? Yeah, 30 seconds. So, Cal, I mean... I totally would had a whole bunch of things I wanted to ask you, and they're totally down well, the toilet. Cal, are you free next week? My diary at the moment with work is chocker. I'm gonna. We will reschedule. I'll get back on, and I'm gonna find out if I'm probably partly to blame for this Skype fiasco, and then I'll be back on for the full no, hour. No, no. You you're, guys, you're, me on again. Wait a minute. You're a doctor. You're not a blame. It's 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 some of us, in, um, you know, infidels around here, around here that you know. That, no, he's a know. parapsychologist. He probably is to blame. We'll get yes. we'll get out <laughs> in a, in an upco- in a, a soon to be upcoming show and so get it sorted there's out. There's a tune, so we got to go, Cal. Do you have a website Thanks, Cal. or anything? Um, Cal, you got a website? On, yeah, follow me on Twitter. Go to at Callum E. Cooper. You can find all updates whenever I do bother to update on there, and you can contact <laughs> me there as well. Yep. Cal, thanks a lot. Great to hear your voice again, uh, even though you only got to speak a little bit. but uh, It was all the... about listening to you, Ron. It was a pleasure. Me? Did I talk? <laughs> the soothing sound of your voice in the background while yeah. Steve is talking I like to hear you murmuring in the background uh, thank you very much <laughs> have a good night, God bless you Thanks, too, Cal. take care guys I'll talk, to you. I'll talk to you in the week and sort out another date yes, we shall have a catch up bye guys bye from ghoulies to ghosties long leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night Deliver us good law.